OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Okay, welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. I'm your host, Jeffrey Pavan, and today we want to welcome one of our favorite investors of, of, we'll say, of 2021, because we've been working on a lot of great things. I welcome uh, Jeff Warner to the show, and thank you very much for coming today. Yes, thanks for having me, Jeffrey. Awesome. And, uh, as long as we don't get mixed up, who's who? Well, I'll go by JP, and you can go by Jeffrey. How's that? All right. That sounds good. I love it. Uh, well, Jeffrey, the way we like to kind of start things off is we like to dive right in. We want to learn a little bit more about yourself, your background, all the great things that you've done. Uh, to date. And then if you can share one thing about you that nobody would know. Okay. So start with the one thing. I like it. Let's do it. Okay. So here's the one thing that no one would know. I am an observer of human behavior. So when you think I'm not paying attention, I probably am. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> I'm uh, I, I always use the same line actually, but uh, I find that, um, when you're the silent type, you kind of like to look, watch, and observe everything, and you take it all in. You're like a big database of watching what someone's wearing, why they're doing this, why they're doing that. So I love that. That's a great yeah. skill. But what's funny with that is that although I can very comfortably be the silent type, I can also comfortably be up front. So I'll shapeshift as need be. It's all authentically me. Um, it's just which which is the right tool for the moment. I like that. It's, uh, it's adaption, right? It's like being a chameleon. You're adapting yes. to your environment. Flexibility. Yep. Ah, that's awesome. Great skill. Great skill. All right. So now on the, if you can kind of give us a little bit more of, I guess, a lot more on the background side, even to where you're calling in today from, because I know uh, being in the U.S., uh, there's multiple areas that you can uh, be residing and working. There's a lot of that happening, of course, around the world. But maybe share a little bit about that and then put into context kind of like what you're doing with uh, Have Done and what you're doing on the Hudson Valley side and uh, all of the other great things that you're working in the startup space. Sure, sure. Well, as you just touched on, uh, Hudson Valley section of New York. Uh, for those of you who are New York geographically challenged, it's an area north of New York City. Uh, we considered about eight counties, uh, four counties north each side of the Hudson River. Uh, I love this area. I like to say um, my playground is Battery Park, which is the tip of New York City, right up to Hudson, New York, and I'll let you Google that. Um, so uh, where I am is uh, somewhat halfway, maybe a little less, uh, in Beacon, New York. Uh, this is my office space. Uh, I found Beacon as another thing that uh, some know, some don't. Uh, I'm a part-time rock and roller. I play bass guitar. And uh, it's something that when I had my own business, I had to put down for a little over 20 years and found my way to Beacon uh, from the rock and roll scene. So I started playing again a few years ago and, uh, you know, have rehearsal tonight. So that brings me up here. So uh, when I when I uh, first discovered Beacon, I fell in love with the place and then decided I wanted to work here. So I got some office space and here I am. And how did I get here? Well, even yeah, that even uh, is intertwined with my rock and roll history. So, uh, I come from the event uh, industry originally, 
Um, I did 30 years doing audiovisual technology. Uh, started with stage lighting, then I went to sound and video. Um, did a lot of live events, and then in latter years, I uh, installed these systems in commercial spaces. Uh, sounds strange to go from there to angel investing, but along the way, I uh, fell away from the tech, started running my business as it was growing, uh, had my hands in you know everything from the bookkeeping, selling, to running teams, and uh, turns out it was a great, great experience in versatility. So uh, one saying is master of all trades. I mean, uh, what do you call it? Not master of all trades. Um, ah, I'm blanking on that saying. Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, or what I say in angel world, um, proudly generalist. And I find for early stage startups, we need to wear all the various hats and pull out all the various tools and juggle what you need to juggle. So uh, I did that for 30 years, 22 of those years, I had my own company in one form or another, had my first company, went seven years, was approached for a merger and became a part owner of a larger company. That company was out of business a year and a half later, and it was an incredible lesson in growing too fast. We were actually quite successful right after merger. We had incredible synergies. And we just grew too fast. And uh, we added employees, we added debt, and we just couldn't keep up with it. Um, so uh, that ended uh, yeah, about a year and a half later. And from the ashes of that, I started my third company that I grew into profitability and sold in 2015. Stayed on with that for a year as a consultant, so, you know, part-time hopping in and out, and then went on my way. But uh, intertwined into that last year or two was a story on how I got into angel investing. So um, jumping back to my rock and roll days, I used to play in among the bands. I used to play with a guy in high school and we were we'd go down to the village in New York City and play these dives at one o'clock in the morning at, on a Tuesday. And uh, it was a credible experience, but uh, not very fruitful in terms of rock and roll success. And uh, so, you know, we, we parted ways eventually as we all you know got older a bit, settled down and got jobs and so forth. Um, lost touch. But uh, got back in touch, first found each other on Facebook. And then one day I'm in a shopping center and there he is with his young child going for a haircut. Now you got to keep in mind, this guy, child, this guy, he definitely fit in the village of New York City. So, you know, his name is very legit now. Um, so we reconnected, got together. He, uh, my, my wife and I had the fam his family over for, uh, for a lunch one day, and he showed me a deck on his tablet. And I recognized some incredible genius that I saw in his songwriting some decades back. I didn't understand it, but I recognized, right when I said the human behavior, I recognized a creative genius in there. So we kept the dialogue going for a number of months. And uh, after, I'd say, about eight or nine months, he and a partner, they decided to leave their day jobs to build this company. And I said, great, what can I do to help? So I set him up with an office and wrote my first check. And in that time, you know, just started getting this thing uh, rolling. 
And in that time, they wound up pitching uh, the Hudson Valley Startup Fund. So, which I'll jump to an end quick, which I'm now one of the managing members. But at the time, I had no idea of any of this stuff. But they came back and said, Jeff, you ought to check this out. I think you like it. I showed up to my first meeting as a guest and I loved it. I was, I was smitten. Um, maybe what I forgot to say is I majored in business in college uh, with a focus on entrepreneurship. And this just spoke to me. Suddenly, you know, my spirit was alive and also recognized intelligences in the room with knowledge that I didn't have. And that business changed from my formal education years. It evolved. And so the whole startup seems like a different, a different animal. So I joined, participated in a bunch of due diligence, listened, um, learned a bunch, and just continued on from there and just stumbled on my uh, career in the second half of my life. Amazing. That's a great story. And I, I like how you were able to take uh, working through your businesses and selling them and then reconnecting, but working through this and looking at all the opportunities. And when this one came in front of you, it wasn't, uh, oh, I don't need to do this. You jumped right into it and started to explore and got excited for this whole new world that you're now part of. And it, it's very exciting because one, it's innovative. It's always changing. Nothing's the same. Mm -hmm. So it just works out pretty cool. So in, in taking all that experience and the learning that you do have or that you've gained from the last six, seven years of working in the startup space, how much of this goes back to that first, second, and third business that you worked in? How much are you relatable to those, those times that you were working through? Do you find that you really had a lot of what it takes to help a startup because you were like, hey, man, I've sold the company. I, I figured out operations. I know how to work tech. I was an innovation guy. Did you just feel it was just a natural progression to go into working with startups? Absolutely. Um, mostly in what not to do. Or I like to say, I don't know what's going to work, but I can tell you a few things of what won't work. Um, yeah, uh, I made those mistakes, right? And learned how to deal with people and manage people. And it took me a long time. But they did. Tra they do translate. And that's how I got into, you know, I also haven't mentioned yet, but I work deeply with the startups that I do engage with. I also do a lot of mentoring. It's a little more casual, but uh, a lot of times I also dig deep, probably maybe a little annoyingly so to some of the founders. But I, I find that those lessons or, or really what, I, what got me into it is when I was seeing the pitches and hearing the problems or certainly hearing the problems from once I invested and I hear, you know, I get the investor reports and such. Um, I realized, wait, I can help with that. I can help with that. And one thing that just doesn't sit well with me in startup community or with uh, those of us who mentor, um, I imagine I have an uncle that, uh, that says, you know what you ought to do. And when I hear that, it's very easy for us to, on this side of the game, to sit in our chairs and tell founders, you know what you ought to do, right? And then, you know, we go on our way and we leave them with a, a pile of problems. I can't do that, right? If, if I see something and I recognize that the skill sets aren't there, the resources aren't there, something just to leave, particularly an early you know, founder early in the game, there's something that gnaws at me. It doesn't feel right. So I need to come in alongside, particularly if I have the tools, to say, okay, 
let me help you with that. It's the difference of, you know, if someone's moving house or something and say, yeah, you know, you ought to lift with your knees, you know, <laughs> you know and then just walk away rather than help him actually lift something up. So yep. it's just how I'm wired. Um, you know, people are wired differently. So, you know, not to not to poo poo on any of that, but it's just something that I can't sit with. And that's where I felt like, all right, money where your mouth is, or at least my efforts where my mouth is and uh, get to work. Well, it brings a lot of team element into it, right? So you're at least able to see the problem, see the solution, and you don't want to be part of participating just as you mentioned from a financial standpoint, you want to get in there and actually help them move and, and uh, propel forward. And you can't do that if you're just on the sidelines dictating all the things that they're doing wrong or what they shouldn't be doing. So it's good that you can see that, but you're also, it sounds like you're envisioning where that business is going to go. So you're already playing it out in your mind. And if you're playing that out, that that's where it's going to go, you're just throwing yourself in as one of the team members to help them get it there and working alongside that vision. Mostly. The, the only thing I'm very cautious about, because I want to give people the space that they had, that I had to grow my companies in that I listen to their vision. Right now, if they ask me an opinion, I'll share it or I might offer an alternative, but really I want to enable their vision. And that's really important to me because if it starts, if I start putting extra weight or my, my finger on the scale, and particularly if I've written enough, you know, uh, enough of an investment where they might feel obligated to listen to me, I try to really hold that back because I want them to do the company that they're passionate about, not the one that I'm passionate about. No, that's a great line. Enable, uh, enabling their vision. I think that makes a big difference in, uh, in investing is that uh, we all can have our own strong opinions and strong, strong ideas on what we think is going to be more successful. But at the end of the day, they're the ones executing on it. Um, and they just need some guidance and a little bit of uh, handholding to, to maneuver through some of those obstacles. And, and you mentioned it earlier that, you know, even when you were aggressively moving, you still had the opportunity to grow and be successful. And you end up having to shut your business down because you grew too fast and couldn't balance out uh, that problem, which is probably a problem that very few people will have to worry about in, in building a company. But you've gone through that. So you can also see those types of things where those growth pieces you can kind of throw out and say, hey, you know what? You're working at lightning speed here. You just hired 30 people in 30 days. You know what? Maybe there's some slowdown here. You're going to have a capital call, some issues. Uh, your burn rate's high. Maybe you should take a look at this or this, but you're still engaging with them. You're still supporting them. But now you're kind of taking in all of these other pieces that maybe not every investor would have faced in time. That's correct. Um, you know, when you listen to people, uh, you know, even just commonly, like, how's business, right? Oh, it's so busy. That's good. Not necessarily, <laughs> right? So it's very common, you know, and uh, I go, you know, more just begets more, but it doesn't necessarily keep you on target. In fact, it, it, it can often put you off target. So you're doing a bunch of sales, but it may not actually lead you to where you said you were going to go. What I like about that is, in, and we've been chatting with um, uh, a couple of startups in, in one particular, and, and what I have learned from the engagement that you're having with them is that uh, you're, you're helping them unearth a lot of things that they may not have actually seen coming mm -hmm. and you're getting them to talk about it. So 
how do you actually get that? You just made the, the perfect line, which is how's business? Oh, business is great. It's super busy. And then in your head, you're like, wait a second. That's so high level. That is so not the detail I'm looking for. How do you get these founders to open up and start to share more of what is that fast problem that they're having? How can we fix this problem? Even though they may not want to share it because they have this fear of letting their investor know that they've got these other real problems. And because you're an investor, they're like, hmm, if I tell him this, is he going to doubt my abilities? So how do you coach them through that? And I think that's pretty um, uh, a pretty needed thing because I find that this happens quite often, that founders just don't want to dive into it. And they yeah. lock out a lot of that good insight that you probably could use to help you and helping them grow. So is there tactics or ways you open that up? Yes. So, I mean, it's very old school building relationships. And look, we don't do it by text. You're not going to build a relationship. By Zoom is awfully hard. So wherever possible, I sit in a room and I spend time. And I go first. You know, in many ways, I have years on the founders. You know, oftentimes I have years on the founders. The, the, the underlying weight of any investment money, although I try not to use that as, a, as leverage, that's like my last, last resort. Um, and it really is making them feel safe. But the thing is, it's not, it's not an act. I, I put up front, all right? I give, I give the founders my failure fee. I want them to know that I'm, I'm not, as long as they work in good faith, you know, are not lazy, they do everything they can, I said, I have a failure fee. It's a beer, it's a hug, and it's remember me on your next endeavor. And that's the fee. So if you know, if you totally screw up, but you've done everything you can do, I'll send you an invoice for a beer. Actually, you'll take me out for a beer. And that'll be it. And I wanted to know that you know, I'm, I'm not the enemy. I come alongside. Your success is my success. We're working on the same team here. I had a red button right now. I was using this in another show. I'd be hitting it. It'd be like, boom, boom, bling, bling, bling. That's awesome. I love that. That that's phenomenal. And I, I love the fact that you you're, you're risking it all in order to get them to align to uh, one initiative, which is enjoy what you're doing, work your ass off, drive your business forward. I'm going to be there. Don't worry about me. We're still going to do this together. And if the outcome isn't favorable, you know what? We're going to have a beer. We're going to hug it out. And we're going to work on that next business because I'm going to be your next investor. Because what I saw in you today is the same thing I'm going to see in your next business. Yep. I had one other thing somehow buried in there. Uh, you know, we all talk sustainability these days. And I drive home, if it's not sustainable to you and your household, it's not sustainable. So I'm also watch those balances and they know then, and it, again, it, it's authentic, right? And, you know, I'm sitting here talking about tactically, but um, it's like if, if you're working seven days a week, day and night, which in a crisis, okay, I'd expect I did it. But one of the things I did too is let my health go. I wasn't in good shape. And over time, I was very inefficient and not making good decisions. I want it sustainable for the people on the front lines. You know, it, 
it's just it's just not going to work if you're mart- martyring yourself to your business. Not in the long run. You could do little sp- sprints, but not in the long run. Well, heartily agree with that. I, I think that your uh, your creative creative uh, flow all comes from being able to get yourself outside of your work and get out outside of the space that you're constantly in. Uh, you're right. There's some good runs where you might do uh, four to six months of a hard run of dedicated and focused to, to move the business a, an extra notch or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really that next iteration is going to come from the separation of your mind and time and what you're actually working on. So, and it doesn't mean you got to take a month off. It just means that you need to separate your space and uh, think differently. And, you know, you might notice, or I find what I go to a conference and I'm like super focused on not the conference on the business. And it's because the business has been turned off for that whole day. And now all of a sudden I'm sitting here listening to all these ideas and talks and all the, Oh my God, I'm texting like crazy. We got to do this. What about that? Right. And that's because you're getting so much influx of creativity and you're in these big, massive rooms and ideas are floating in everybody's mind. That energy's high. And now all of a sudden you're actioning things like crazy. So uh, I love that. It's uh, it's a great way to um, push your founders to, to work hard, but also know that they've got to play hard too. And they've got to get out there and expand. Yep. And you touched on that creative ability, create creative uh, ability in that, you know, it's a different kind of energy too, right? It's, it's an energy that you keep going and going. It, it's, it's different than the energy that you, you have to just get up and do the work. That energy drains you. But if you're coming from that creative space, it sustains you. Agreed. Yeah. It keeps driving you forward, right? Because you're, you're every morning you wake up thinking, what can I change, modify, clean up, make better? Um, which is part of that creativity side versus uh, today I got to sign a hundred documents or I got to do this mundane job of what I've created. So yeah, it, it does uh, bring a whole different essence to your business and your modeling. Yes. Absolutely. To go back a, l- a little bit when uh, you were going through uh, the original businesses and you were in a creative space, you're in the event space, you're showcasing people all the time. Um, I'm assuming it will go into bands all the way across and doing a lot of big things. Um, when you were kind of learning through this, uh, I'm guessing that you probably didn't think too much or see too much about uh, taking in venture capital and working on that side of it. Do you think that now today as being a venture capitalist, do you you think, man, if I would have had this option back in the day, that would have helped me do X? Or do you think, you know what, I, I probably didn't need it back then. I'm glad I didn't use it. But man, do I see the benefits of it today? Um, well, kind of in between. So my, my business wasn't scalable in the way that we talk about scalability. But had I known what I know now, I might have found an angel with an affinity for the space and at the time, you know, various points in time, I probably could have used the mentorship as well. So that would have been helpful that I didn't know from it. So all I knew was debt financing. So earlier days was credit card. In later days, I can do bank loans and lines of credit. Um, but it was really self-financed. And, it, you know, and, and that it stunted the growth. It stunted the possibility because um, you get in this middle territory, I don't know. I think it's a part of the business pattern. If you're growing, you're trying to grow linearly, you get stuck because you need another inflow of capital. It's not going to come from the bank. They, they won't lend you that much relative to your history, unless you have wealth somewhere else. Um, 
it's got to come from venture capital if it's going to you know, or a part, partnership of some kind. Oh, and I love that you, you, you say that because I get this question quite often, which is why should I raise capital or why do I need to raise capital? And, and there's always a good group of people that and businesses that are always looking for it. Uh, you know, they've learned through channels or however they've uh, built up this knowledge for it. But earlier on when I started, it was, uh, that wasn't as prevalent knowledge and today it is out there quite a bit. So uh, I, I do look at it and say, you know, if you're looking to scale, raise funds. If you're looking to just grow on a regular 10% a year and everybody's happy, then maybe the, the dollars aren't really what you need to look for. But I, I think you just mentioned a couple of pieces and that's really the, the coaching, the mentorship. A lot of these pieces all do tie to venture capital at some point, because the more you go out and interact with people, the more they're going to share their stories and you're going to pick up on a lot more of this. So how did this deal work? Or why did you do this? Oh, this person came in with this. So I think there's a lot of um, lack of sharing, but it's probably more on the founder side for lack of asking questions. Yes, but the key thing, of course, is even knowing what questions to ask, right? And until you've done it for a while, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, that is true. Yeah, but what you touched on, I think is important, is the, uh, the rate of the growth, Right. So if you're kind of a profitable business, maybe, you know, maybe a lot more in the lifestyle category, it's just you only grow so much per year based on uh, really, you know, reinvesting profits um, and and blending. And you just hit the way I describe it is if you take a plumber and uh, plumbers doing a great business and gets a helper and that's fine and you can still make money. And then you decide to double it because business is great. So, okay, maybe you can do two, two, two vans, two people in each van, and you're doing fine. But as soon as you go to the third, you now need overhead. The person in the office coordinating everything, maybe two people. And now if you don't go that, if you don't go to that, that next level, which requires capital and assuming you can't get it from a bank, the only way to do it is is venture capital so although otherwise you're stuck now nothing wrong with it if you're content and making good money and that's a lifestyle totally fine but if you're looking to build the the, you know, the empire um this is the way i found you do it and the other version i'm actually dealing with this with a, a company i've been in for uh, oh, three years now is that they are you know the revenues are nice they're making a bottom line profit their growth velocity is slow and, you know, it's focused on positive bottom line. And I was just on a call a couple of days ago trying to explain from an investor standpoint, when we're looking to ultimately get an exit, right? I mean, you know, th this is too slow, right? And th in this case, it's really about brand, you know, not the product that they're doing. It's like the brand's not getting out there. And if we're worried about the bottom line, this will this they'll never have enough velocity. It could just keep going. Just the margins are not that you know they're good. They're not great, you know. And it's just it's a VC game. They're kind of sustaining themselves uh, so that they don't have to keep going and trying to find loans or dollars from the banks. But they're not also uh, accelerating themselves at that ten to thirty percent month over month growth or or whatever seems to be the best uh, positioning for them because again their overhead costs are probably too high 
So there's a fine balance that they're trying to manage to keep cash flow positive. Right. Well, there's that. But in this case, it's not even a bank for lending. They're definitely investable. It just mm-hmm. needs it just needs a little tweak in the business in the vision, right? Or in the plan, actually. Right. The vision is the same, right? Oh, you know, everyone wants to grow big and get acquired. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but the yeah, but it's just a tweak in the plan. It's just a little shift in the thinking. And that comes from, again, as you mentioned, it comes from the knowledge and understanding our coaching. And being able to have that conversation and, you know, some things you, you don't, they don't always register until you hear them a few times uh, or you don't really dive into them to understand them until they've been brought up a few times. And then you start to think, oh man, you know, maybe that is something I could do, or that's something that I could uh, get behind if I had the right coaching or the right mentorship supporting me so that I have more confidence in the ability that if I took this half million dollars, I could convert that into 3 million in business. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this has all been like really great in understanding how all of these have shifted and how you put this emphasis on the startups and helping them today. Um, now going back again to, uh, let's say the company that you sold in 2015, um, what was, as you kind of progressed through that and made that decision to, to sell and move forward, what was maybe one thing that got you to decide to sell that you weren't like, was it, the passion changed? Was it, I got introduced to investing and thought, you know what, maybe they all kind of coincided at the same time. So maybe this is something I want to do. What kind of got you to make that move and decide that this was the right choice and next steps? Um, And uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Well, if I touch on the metaphysics, the stars aligned. So a couple things happened. One, I, my latest, Latest and supposedly greatest key employee, latest hire, um, which, you know, I've had a number of them over the years. Highest salary I ever paid, you know, our deepest resume, I'll grant. But a few months in, he got an offer, you know, honestly, I couldn't compete with and I couldn't blame him for taking it. He got an offer to go on tour with a big name as a lighting director and anyone in that space, you know, in that field would have said yes. So, and he did it the right way and everything was great. You know, he gave me enough notice, kept me in the loop, all done right. But I just got tired of onboarding people, you know, so from the, so that was just like, I can't just do this again. I've done it so many times where the next key hire and they, they don't last. And, you know, in earlier days, I kind of said, I, I might be the world's worst employer or, there's something, you know, in the industry or in the circumstance that, you know, it's just draining me and draining the, the business uh, in just this turnaround. Maybe in early days, I wasn't a great employer, but I like to think I got better over time. Um, second thing was my friend leaving his day job and building this company. And that just opened up an opportunity. And the third thing um, is that I had some real estate in New York City. And we, uh, my brother and I had owned it, owned it, past tense. And we got an unsolicited offer to purchase for a price we couldn't say no to. So I had the liquidity that I didn't previously have. So, you know, the way I say is I can't eat bricks. I had to keep working because the wealth's on paper and it was income, but I can't eat bricks. Um, and, you know, side story is mortgage wasn't an option. So 
Uh, yeah. So the two, the, those three things happen maybe within about 30 days of each other. And I also recognized that the, the game I was playing is a younger, younger person sport. And I was in my forties, still good, but my bounce back wasn't what it was in the twenties and thirties. And I just knew for health reasons, you know, it just, it seemed time. Well, it's great that you were able to kind of align the stars, as you mentioned, but maybe there's one thing there that you were a great employer because everybody was being poached from you, which means that they obviously were learning a lot and the credibility came with that. So that's a good thing because one, you're showing that uh, you're putting out top talent. Uh, that's a pretty big thing to have. Uh, but I also like the fact that you noticed that there is a point where if you were being drained of top talent all the time was that maybe this was the right time to kind of sell and move yourself into a different position in your business, your businesses. But um, because of the fact that you saw that the market was building up, so it is a good time. People are trying to move faster. Uh, having you as the business would have obviously made someone go even quicker and better into that space. So a great venture capital opportunity. Uh, so I think it actually worked out quite nicely in the sense that uh, you were able to pick up on all these things. And the reason why I was diving into this because uh, we don't ever get to talk about this and it's very rare that a founder knows when to sell. A lot of the times they sell when things are bad or when they're down or they merge when they're just tired, but they haven't really found that uh, space that they should be working in. So it's good. You found the space, you realized it, you move forward and you had a lot of great things that all happened at one time. Yes, there was a bit of that, um, but you, you give me too much credit. Um, yes, some, some of the employees I had were that. Uh, many, it's a transient uh, uh, sector, so uh, it was also circumstantial. But, uh, but thank you for the flattery. <laughs> hey, no worries. Just calling it as I see it. But I think at the yep. end of the day, what's great that comes out of all of this is that it puts in the mind of a founder that opportunities come and you always have to be open-minded to them. Yes. Um, I think a lot of what you talked about is, of course, there is a real significant um, opportunity in any space that you're in to one, uh, sell your business, to merge into other companies. But that all comes from empowering yourself by reading and learning and paying attention and being hyper-focused in a space because that's what's going to allow you to catch these types of things and be able to jump in and out when you need to. Um, and I think a lot of that does get lost. I think a lot of times uh, founders uh, don't find the right opportunity of when to sell, and then they could end up losing it all because they didn't mm -hmm. take that option. And you can look back at the most popular ones of all time, which would have been like Yahoo, uh, when they were offered to be sold for a massive, massive, like $50 billion or something, um, and chose not to take it, and then went down to some crazy number of like 700 million of evaluation um, to work their way back up again. But I think a lot of the times we get too stuck in our own world and we forget that um, listening and opening ourselves up can really help drive home more information, which can enable you to do better things. For sure, for sure. And this is where I think what I'm hearing, um, not, not, that all not that any team's immune from what I'm about to say, but the importance of a board, and I do mean a board, not a rubber stamp board, and whether it's a board of directors or a board of advisors, you know, I don't care what label you give it, but that you have, uh, founders have a team of wisdom. That's a question I've asked on a couple of uh, early interviews where I felt like the founders were a little young. I, I, I ask them, where's the wisdom? I've had responses of where's the knowledge, 
I said, no, 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 where's the wisdom? And that, that's the key. So also to be able to listen, key, very key thing is the ability to listen. And look, a board can get it wrong. You can ask, you know, three advisors. They all tell you to not don't sell. And, and in hindsight, it was the wrong decision. But at least you're getting some back and forth. And because the founders, you know, it's a very, even if you're surrounded by people, it's a very isolating position. You're making these decisions. And after a while, the objectivity disappears. It's just natural. It's just how our psychology is. So having some people that have, one foot in, one foot out, maybe some people that are all out. It's helpful to get those perspectives. Oh, I support that 100%. Anywhere you can get information and insights and, and take them back. And I, I think it's not so much about just taking the answer and doing it. It's taking a lot of answers in and trying to figure out what is the solution? Where do I want to be? How do I focus? How do I build to the next stage? Uh, we have one startup where you know they've successfully done their five-year plan. And now he's like, if you gave me 50 million, I wouldn't even know what to do with it. Right. It was like, I'm probably figured out, but we don't have a plan. So now we're going to work on our plan. So we're working on that right now so that we can figure out what the next five years looks like. And I love the fact that even though the plan is going to shift, change, and go in a different million ways, it's that they've put something together to get them the next mm -hmm. five years. And then they can iterate pivot change, but they're putting that in structure and they're going out to their investors. They're going out to the community and they're asking questions and they're getting them to give them information that they may not have gotten by just being in that space. And I think a lot of those types of things help generate enough value so that you can kind of go back and see what sticks and what was on the wall and kind of disseminate that down into a real plan and then say, okay, this is our plan. It's 90% there. We'll maneuver in between it, but let's create our own parameters and go forward. Sure. But there's one thing you said that I, if I'm drilling down and there's some real nuance that's important to me. So getting information from a whole lot of places can also get very confusing and form analysis paralysis or just confusion and so on. So I think it's important for a founder or founding team to make decisions as far in advance as you can on the criteria for assessing information, all right? So I know it's a little multi-dimensional here, but you know, there's a, there's a ton of us that will mentor. And I tell people, I don't know if my mentorship, my information is any better than anyone else's. I really don't. Um, but if, you, if whoever I'm talking to has a, kind of an outline or a decision tree or something on, how to disseminate, how to process that information, what to discard and what has merit. That's really important. After that, the information, you know, YouTube all you want, right? You know, you can find it out there. Um, you know, or I touched on, you know, wisdom, right? It's not the information that you or I may have. It's our particular experience, experiences in, in application of the information that might be relevant to that circumstance. I like that. That's a lot deeper. And, and you're, you're right. It's the uh, paralysis can occur from too much, but if you can figure out how you rank or score that data or that information mm -hmm. to get you into the right position, then taking that in won't be a bad thing. It's you got to limit yourself on how much you can also take in. 
but there is going to be a good positive outcome that once you've isolated that and understood the market where you can potentially go with it. Yep. And actually just to keep score. So it's, it's both quantitative and qualitative. And that's the art and science of business, right? It is. It is. I love it. Um, all right. Well, now we're going to kind of shift a little bit and okay. we're going to shift into uh, being that you've worked with a lot of startups and a lot of founders over the years. Um, there's probably one story that just probably resonates with you on what it takes to be a founder or what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And we're kind of looking for that heartfelt story where you're like, I can't believe they made it this far or what a, an incredible journey these people have been on. Is there something that just pops in your head out? We kind of like to just share one of those real heartfelt stories that just blow your mind on what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Well, heartfelt, I don't know. If, I, I, let's see if we could tie it together to the question, but there is one story in particular that uh to me, there's an example of just great, great human capability in it. So one of my early investments I went into, um, there were two founders and I came in fairly early in the game, but it was, it was rough. I, you know, how to do business. They were much more on the technical side of what they were doing than the business side. Um, that was a situation, an early situation where I said, I can help with that. So I tried, um, but the founding team, I think, wasn't quite ready to hear it. They knew better. And all right, um, so a few events occurred, and I realized I had to distance myself a bit. And uh, without getting to the ugly side of things, but let's just say some money and lawyers got involved. Um, not my first choice. It's actually my last choice. And they pushed me to my last choice. Um, it went, it was ugly. I, I pushed me at levels I'd never wanted to go. Um, but it's good to know I'm capable of doing it if I have to defend something. That said, it all resolved very well. Actually, just before it resolved, wait, you missed, I missed the key part. So I have like my spreadsheet where I track my investments. And I wrote in the notes column, expected to be out of business in 2017. Then 2018 came and I just deleted the seven and made it an eight. Then at that point, there was resolution to our conflict. And I got the backstory. And one of the founders needed to part with, you know, to part. And made, made peace with the other founder. In the subsequent years, not only has the company developed beautifully and the team beautifully, I mean, this is now my, what I consider my flagship investment. I am so thrilled to be part of this company, to be part of the story, to like, it's just amazing. And actually, I just made my fourth investment in the company. So it's not just that. It's like, I'm there, I'm in it. I absolutely love this company, but I also absolutely love this founder. So the heartfelt is we can go from what was in the territory of the worst business relationship in my life to a beautiful human relationship and a really good, healthy business relationship as well. And, you know, I think my wife jumped into the conversation. She's on board with this company. And it's just like, we're just having a blast, just cheering this company on, helping where we can. 
and just loving it. But this was at the point of, you know, like disaster. And, uh, and ultimately I was able to delete that cell on my spreadsheet and say, Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great story. So did you find that the connection was really with the founder that eventually as you kind of worked through all of this and reconnected and cleaned all of this up to make it a success, um, did it really just all of this came back down to that one founder that just had that true conviction to make this successful and uh, eventually overcome the barriers that were in front of them? Yes. I think in the, you know, it's hard to know before you dive into something, because this is in the, I don't, you don't know what you don't know, but having a two founder team where both had very different ideas on how to make it happen. Um, I could tell you now that I know the story that one, the one who's no longer there had ideas in my, that won't work territory. Right. I have very few of those things because I, it's more like, well, how can we make it work is more my attitude. But that was one of those that won't work. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, you don't get to not show up and still make a gajillion dollars. <laughs> you know? Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. So, uh, well, go ahead. No, that's awesome. That's a great story. And, and uh, it, it really does. When you have one founder, two founders or board advisors, all of the above, there's uh, a lot of work that has to go in to balance out all of that. And uh, being able to get behind and, and support that one direction or that one execution play can make a big difference and can break or make your company, right? Yes. Yeah. And, oh, that's uh, a great story. Yeah. And this was a case of just step-by-step step cleaning up the messes. Now, now that there was clarity on where to go, and it takes a little time. And this is a technology company, so it goes slower than a CPG or something like that. Um, but it's happening. Oh, that's amazing. Well, congrats and very excited to hear more about their uh, their success. I think that's uh, a great story and hopefully they talk about it lots too. Yes, hopefully so. All right, we're going to transition into our rapid fire questions. Okay, chocolate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. First, what is first your question. favorite ice cream? <laughs> uh, that's part of them. That's later on, though. That's all right. Later on. All right. On the business side, first question. Founder or co-founder? Founder or co Oh, uh, co-founder. Uh, unicorn or four-year 10X exit? Four-year 10X exit. Tech or CPG? CPG. Brand or tech? Brand. AI or blockchain? Blockchain. First-time founder or second, third-time founder? Second, third. First money in or Series A? First money in. Angel or VC? Angel. Board seat or observer? Observer. Safe or convertible note? Convertible note. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? The adventure. There is an adventure. It's pretty awesome. Uh, number of companies invested per year? Three to four. Preferred terms? Um, preferred terms. I mean, convertible note in that um, 
plain vanilla under there. Okay. Uh, any verticals that you focus on? CPG and SaaS. Good choices. Uh, startups, what are two things that make them stand out if you were to invest? Team. Or what, what two things do you look for? Again? What two things? Uh, team chemistry, including me with it. And unique insight into a, into a sector or a market space. I like that last one. Team's always number one, which I agree with, but I like that unique setting. Yeah, which I guess is their differentiator, right? It's knowledge and That's powers. Right. It makes a difference. That's right. Um, yeah, if, I mean, if we're done with the, uh, I, I can qualify that a bit. In yeah, that, go ahead, yeah. You know, how many do we see that says, this is the only such and such such in the space, but didn't you just see two of those last week at those pitch events, right? And on one hand, okay, you know, people are running stealth early on. On the other hand, you know, really what, what's the difference? And if someone has a really unique insight, that's that, you know, quiet in the corner and observe type of scenario where you just see an angle to it that just isn't obvious on first glance, that's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. That, that's uh, that's all part of that whole focus, right? How focused mm -hmm. are they? How much do they know? How deep have they gone with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it speaks in volumes. No, I like that. Yes. Okay. Um, personal side. Yes. All right. Book or movie? Book. Superman or Batman? Batman. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? Say that again. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? Pizza pop. Is that a Canadian thing? I don't know what a pizza pop is. Uh, it's a. It's one of those. I, you've never seen a commercial for a pizza pop. They're like uh, oh, the poppers, little, little yeah, pizza things, and they pop and blow up everywhere. All that. Jazz. Okay. And what's the other one? <laughs> ice cream bar. I, I'll do the ice cream. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, five minutes with Bezos or Oprah. Oprah. Arsenal or Manchester United? Arsenal. Okay. Out of my realm. Arsenal. Okay, we can skip that. They're, they're football. So football. English, English Premier League. Yeah. Totally. So, I'm looking so for English, Arsenal fans. Oh, you need soccer. Okay. Yep. Yep. Looking for, uh, I'm looking for Arsenal fans. Gotcha. Uh, bike or rollerblades? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Oh, I won't touch any of them, but if I had to, Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Trophy or money? Money. Beer or wine? Mm. Beer. Alarm clock or mobile phone? Alarm clock. Hotel or hostel? Hotel. King or rich? Rich like it all right okay i'm getting down to the, the final uh the final few here uh what is your favorite sports team well i'll go with with last time i paid attention to sports i'll say the new york yankees but i really right. don't follow sports yeah it's interesting it's uh with covid it's shifted a lot but because it's part of that social norm that keeps everybody kind of talking and interacting um 
you kind of stay on the surface, right? You still learn a little bit here and there, but it's, it's a tough one when you're uh, not able to go to any matches, right? Right. But yeah, that's right. not something I miss. <laughs> favorite movie and which character would you play in the movie? Ah, favorite movie is still Return of the Jedi. Love it. Yeah. And uh, I think I do. Uh, I'm in the R2-D2 mood at the moment. That might change the Chewbacca C-3PO, but I think R2-D2. I like it. That's awesome. Uh, favorite book? Favorite book. I think at least also at the moment. Oh, actually, you know what? I got one that's out there. Um, oh, I'm blanking. Dr. James Hollis. He's a Jungian analyst. And, oh, I am blanking on the spot. But uh, finding meaning in the second half of life. And I'll just say, instead of a midlife crisis, it's about the middle passage. Finding meaning in the second in the half second. of life. All right. I'll give you a second choice, though. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, I think I read that one a long time ago. Yeah. Well, the original B the BBC uh, television version is great, too. It is so poorly produced, it's funny. <laughs> I can't remember that. I, I'm going to have to look that one up again. Yeah. Yeah. All not right. the Hollywood movie that came out some, I don't know, 15 years ago, whatever. The BBC version. Fantastic. Okay. Um, all right. Last question. All right. What is your superpower? My superpower. I touched on it uh, really is the uh, observation of human behavior. You know, I've, I've mooted here. Uh, along the way, you know, paying attention to psychologies, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, it's such a huge part of why we do what we do. You know, it's part of our bio biochemistry. You know, so how do humans work? And the ability to observe that and see things in between things. So it, it sounds kind of out there, but, uh, you know, whatever the philosophy Plato, I guess, you know, know thyself. And once you know thyself, you start recognizing things externally that become really interesting. So superpower is to find those interesting things and observe them and communicate when asked. I like it. Well, it's a great superpower to have. And I think uh, a lot of people probably could hone in on that, that superpower themselves. But being observant and, and looking at looking for the anomalies and looking for things that stand out in a crowd always makes a big difference. And especially in the angel VC world, it makes a huge difference because that'll make or break your investment. So it, it, I think it's a great thing. Um, but Jeffrey, I want to thank you very much for all of your time today. As I always do, took lots of notes. Okay. Uh, I'm old school in that sense, but I always got to write these things down so that I don't forget them. But amazing. Uh, and then we learned a lot. Um, love what you've done and the things that you are building and how you've got to today. Uh, and kudos for, uh, for all the coaching and mentoring you're doing with startups. It's huge. Uh, keep that up. And the way we like to kind of end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything you want to share to the investor or to the startups, I, I turn it over to you. But thank you very much for sharing today. Yeah, well, first, I'll say thank you for hosting and inviting me. And this is a, a great process. I uh, love it. It's part of what makes this whole whole space so special. 
So appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I think what I would leave with is, you know, don't lose perspective, right? This is an adventure. This is how, you know, entrepreneurship, doing a startup, it's how we explore life. And, you know, I mean, whether it's, whether it's in business or sports or the arts or whatever it is, but keep the perspective that, that this, your life is bigger than your business. Your life is bigger than your business. I like that. I have all these lines I'm going to have to use for you, man. All right, go for it. Well, again, thank you very much, Jeff. I was trying to write all that down. I'll do that after. But again, sure. thank you very much for uh, for sharing. Phenomenal job. Just give us one sec. But thank you. Okay, that was great. Uh, having a, a great conversation with uh, Jeff Wern Jeffrey Werner. And I love the fact that he would, uh, one of the things that really stood out for me is when he talks about setting up um, and working with a company that he's made an investment into, and what he ends up doing is, you know, the, the failure fee. And I love this is that it's a beer, a hug, and that he gets the opportunity to invest in your next, uh, your next company. So uh, I just thought this was so well thought out that, you know what, Hey, I'm on your side here to help you grow your business. And if for any reason, something doesn't work out the way, uh, you know, we all expect, then here's kind of your out. You got to buy me a beer and, and uh, we'll talk about it and work on that next venture. So, uh, really cool. Uh, like that, that he goes into sustainability, authentic, uh, making them feel safe, enable their envision, their vision. So not going in and trying to change the model, but going in there and providing enough insight that gets the founder excited to have the investor on board. Um, and then again, just uh, looking for those unique opportunities and ways to drive into that business. So uh, Jeffrey, thank you very much for sharing that. Great insights. Um, and uh, outside that, uh, always a pleasure. So thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. And you can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you very much and have a great week.